what is the mission of the church? I want you to think of it in, in your head right now. If you're going to sum it up, what is the mission of the church? And I'm not talking just common ground. I'm talking the global church, the church everywhere. You know, it's phrased different ways at the end of each gospel, but in, in Matthew, Jesus says it this way, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Or Acts 1.8, right here we saw that. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission of the church is very simple. It's to grow the church. But not just grow the church. I mean, that sounds a little bit corporate. The mission of the church is to grow disciples, Jesus followers, meaning people who don't know Jesus, don't know God, come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then are discipled. They grow in him. They become more like Jesus. Uh, they experience more and more of Jesus in their lives, meaning sin should be going down in their lives. Joy, peace goes up in their lives. That's the mission. Now, our purpose is a little bit different. This is, can be confusing, but our purpose as created beings, as humans that God made in his image, is to love and know God. That's why we exist. And we're going to do that for eternity if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're going to get to know him better and better and love him. But the mission is why God doesn't just take us to be with him right now. Why the rapture doesn't happen every time somebody believes, because the mission needs to go on until Jesus comes back. Now, you know, we live in a, a country, a society really considered post-Christian. You know, after Christianity has had its great influence, and now there's this great decline of the church in the United States and in large part in, around the world, but especially Europe uh, and here. But I found this graphic that, that I agree with, and I think it's interesting. Show, show this real quick. Because we hear all the time, the church is in decline, the church is in decline, we're failing, we're going down. Yes and no. Uh, and I hope this gives us a little bit of hope. So on this graph, you, you see the blue. Uh, the blue is those who say they have no religious affiliation. So uh, if, if you've been around very long, you know culture in the United States for a long time, and still in some places is, you go to church, you claim to be a Christian, whatever. It's now okay to say, I don't believe. And so that has shot up. Uh, and what's gone down, you see the red, the red is mainline Protestant. And so a lot of these studies we see that say the church is declining are referring to Protestant churches. And they are. They have plummeted kind of right in line with the nuns going up. But look at the green line. The green line would be evangelical Protestant. I'm going to explain that. But it's been fairly steady as it goes on. Now, here's the difference. Mainline Protestant, that would be uh, the, the great Protestant denominations uh, go through the list. There's a lot of them. But in general, they have, many of them have abandoned Scripture. So in order to be relevant with society, they have said, you know, we uh, take the Bible seriously, but not literally. And so there's aspects of it that they say, you know what, that doesn't work for us anymore. And so they get rid of it. We want to be culturally sensitive. So they, they don't talk about sin or morality. Whereas evangelical, that word means gospel. Uh, you know, evangelism, you've heard that term, evangelism, it means gospel. An evangelical church, and by the way, any one of these denominations could have churches that are still evangelical, meaning they believe the Bible is literally true. They believe that conversion is necessary for eternal salvation. So evangelical means we believe that there was original sin. We believe everybody has sinned, and, and the wages of sin is death. 
But Jesus died on the cross, literally died on the cross, literally rose from the dead, and faith in him gives life. And the mission then of the church is to help others find that life in him. So there's the difference between you know, mainline Protestant and evangelical is a lot of these mainline Protestant would say, you know, Jesus is one way among many. Evangelical would say, no, he's the only way, which gives our drive to evangelism, to the importance of sharing the gospel. And I hope this gives you a little bit of hope, because if you're anything like me, you hear all the reports and you're kind of like, <laughs> you know, why is the church failing? Now, this gives hope, but I want to ask the question, why isn't that green line going up steadily? Why isn't the church growing? We're hanging on, and this gives me hope, and as I read the word, I see Jesus say, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. There's a lot of hope there. Why isn't it growing? You can turn that off now if you want. And I think I have one reason. There's many reasons. I think there's one reason, and I'm going to point the finger. I think it's pastors, in large part. And let me say it this way. It's what would be called the holy man myth. And Larry Osborne says this about the holy man myth. It's the idea that pastors and clergy somehow have a more direct line to God. It cripples a church because it overburdens pastors and equates leadership gifts with superior spirituality. Let me read that again. It's the idea that pastors and clergy somehow have a more direct line to God. It cripples a church because it overburdens pastors and equates leadership gifts with superior spirituality. Now, most pastors, I think, if they've done this, it's not on purpose. They, they genuinely love people and want to serve and unwittingly go this way. And, and others do it on purpose because they like the role or whatever. The truth is, as you read the Bible, there is no clergy-laity distinction. And I think that distinction between clergy and laity really does cripple the church. Do you know the average American church size? About 80 people. You know why? That's how many people one man can serve if he works himself to the bone. And a lot of these pastors are good, loving people, and they will work themselves to the bone rather than what the Bible says in Ephesians. Our role is to equip the saints for the work of service. And by the way, saint isn't some special person. It's every single person that believes in Jesus as Lord. You are a saint. You know, that's another thing the church has done is elevated certain people. Ooh, they're a saint. No, no. You're a saint if you have placed your faith in Jesus as Lord. And so our role as a church is to equip the saints to do the work of service. So why is that number not growing? I think in large part because most of us, or many of us, depending on where we've come from or where we've gone, have come to this understanding, maybe subconsciously, that the professional Christians do the Christian life. And the rest of us, our role is to attend church some, definitely to give to support these professional Christians, you know, and pray some and, and be good, rather than the difference is actually we're all clergy, if you want to say it that way. And so rather than certain people being elevated to the varsity level, we're all on the varsity. The mission is all of ours, not just some. And we're looking at Acts, so turn to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to see this in a man named Philip. And I want to ask this question, how can we see a great movement of God? Now, depending on, on how you read Revelation and other books of what the end is going to look like, we, we do see pretty clearly the end is not good in general. You know, Scripture talks about uh, people will gather for themselves leaders who will tickle their ears, say the things that they want to hear. And we see that happening all over. 
And so there will be a, a general morality decline and increase in evil toward the end. But I believe, and many others believe, before Jesus returns, we're going to see another revival. And I think that's true. I think we can pray for that and hope for that. We will see a revival. That's what we're called to work for anyway. And so there's some hope, I think, with that graph and with what God wants to do. There is some hope. We can see God do great things. Do we want to? Or are we okay with boring church, watching the professionals do it? Turn to Acts 8, if you're not there. Last week, uh, Paul told us about Stephen. Uh, and Paul, it was amazing. If you missed it, go online and, and, and watch it. We have video now, and so it's good. Uh, my kids watched it last night because we were out of town. Um, and Kayla, she's watching right now. Hi, Kayla. Um, she, last night, I guess, after I went to bed, she said, wait, we need to watch last week. So they turned it on. And she wants to be watching right now at 10 o'clock because she wants to be part with all of us. And so thank you for those online. You are part of what we're doing, and we've been praying that God will show up uh, powerfully where you're at. So anyway, um, Paul last week looked at Stephen. Stephen was a regular guy. He, he wasn't just a rock, though. He was a shooting star. Again, if you missed it, I'm not going to tell you about it. You need to go watch it. But really cool, this, this Stephen was brought into leadership, and then he was the first martyr. He died for his faith, and here we're looking at what happens after that. Acts 8, 1 through 4. And Saul approved of his execution, that is, Stephen. Stephen was, was executed for his faith. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. Then entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now you see here this, this persecution breaks out. Uh, it had been withheld a little bit. And now with the, the murder of Stephen, it just goes full bore. And who is it leading the charge? This guy named Saul. Uh, we're going to see him in a couple weeks. Saul will become Paul, who wrote a good deal of our New Testament. So God's going to run him down. But anyway, at this moment, he is coming after the church, grabbing people, putting them in prison. And what do we see? Every believer, except for the apostles in Jerusalem, flees. And, and we said this is probably 10,000 or more people. All of them go. They get out of town. Remember Acts 1.8. You know, God gave the instruction, Jesus gave the instruction to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then he lays out the plan. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So far, where are they? Jerusalem. They've stayed in Jerusalem. Now this persecution breaks out and the people go. I think God did this maybe on purpose. As you read that command... Well, they're still in Jerusalem. They're still in Jerusalem. And, and I, I, I can't read God's mind here, but maybe he's like, all right, we're done. <laughs> Get going. Do what I told you. Move on. But not the apostles. They stay. And I think this is important. What do all of these Christians do when they flee? Verse 4. This is one of those verses we often skip over. Very simple, but here it is. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Thousands of new believers go about preaching the word. Notice, they didn't get a seminary degree. <laughs> they weren't ordained. They just went. And they went preaching. Now, they weren't uneducated. 
Remember, as you look back in Acts, what was the church doing? They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So these Christians had been listening to the apostles. They were being discipled. They were, they were getting the teaching that we now have in Scripture from Jesus through the apostles to them. So they were educated, they, they were learned, and then they went. That's one of those sticking points to me a little bit. You know, a lot of times we think we need to know a lot more before we go live it. You know, here, these people had different ranges or whatever of, of knowledge, but all of them were teaching. All of them were preaching. It wasn't just a, a select few. Again, the clergy lady distinction is not biblical. There is nothing special about me as a pastor. Well, hopefully there is something special about me, but not because I'm a pastor. You know, we all have different roles. Leadership gifts are, are real, and the church needs leaders, absolutely. But there is no special thing about being a, a priest or a pastor or an elder or anything like that. It, it's special because there's a role there, there's responsibility there, but we all are gifted in different ways to be used for the same mission. So here they go, and this is in your notes. The initial expansion of the church outside Jerusalem came through spirit-filled Jesus followers living in obedience wherever they went, not clergy. Listen, look at that. Faithful Jesus followers, they were spirit-filled, meaning they were walking with the Spirit. They were walking in relationship with Jesus through the indwelling Holy Spirit, they were going, and they were being obedient. Obedient to what? The great commission that Jesus had given them. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded. They took that seriously. In Matthew, that command actually is, you know, as you go, make disciples. It says go make disciples, but really it's, it's as you go, meaning wherever you go, whatever you're doing, make disciples. You know, these people went, and they were still carpenters and farmers, tradesmen, insurance salesmen. They probably didn't have those then. <laughs> but, but go down the list. They continued to do what they did, and they were being a witness, and they were preaching the word. So look at verse 5. Now we see Stephen. Or I'm sorry, now we see Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. You know, here we learn some things from Philip that are similar to what Jesus and the apostles do of how to see God move. You know, how does God move through his people? Here, you, you see Stephen. First, he was faithful in his home church. This is a big deal. You know, a lot of times, you know, we think about going or sending, you know, being a missionary, it's something big. He was simply faithful in Jerusalem first, just like Stephen. Stephen and Philip were two of those who were faithful, doing, God, what do you want? Here I am, send me. Well, I want you to do this, I'll do that. And then, hey, we need some people to serve tables. Stephen and Philip, both, we'll do it. You know, we'll be part of whatever you want us to do. They were faithful at home first. Then he went, and what do we see? God's plan is to use ordinary people living in a community to bring joy to it through word and deed. You see that in these verses. Verse 8. There was much joy in that city. Why? Well, because Philip was bringing healing. He was casting out demons. He, he was doing things. He was serving. Even his life was a sign of something different. He was bringing healing. 
He was bringing joy. His ministry, Philip's mission to Samaria, was physical. He brought blessing. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Many believe, look at verse 12 real quick. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So we see a little revival breaking out in Samaria. But it began with his mission being physical. Jesus did the same thing. He healed, he fed. The apostles were doing the same thing in Jerusalem. Healing, feeding. Uh, the Jerusalem church there, there was no needy person among them because people gave generously to the church and then they took care of people. There's something different about God's people. And you see here, how do we see a movement? God's people bring blessing where they go. Here's a question. Is our community, uh, does, does our community have greater joy because we're here? Do the communities you live in are involved, is there greater joy there because of you? If you move away, will people go, oh, I might not have believed what they believe, but I miss them. They brought joy. They brought healing. What about us as a church? If we disappeared, would our community lament that? Would it be like, yeah, there goes another one of those churches. They were just about themselves anyway. Our mission is uh, partly to bring blessing. You know, I think this is another one of those myths. And I, I would put this as an outreach myth. This outreach myth is that as a church, you do a couple outreaches. And so good spiritual people will just mark that box off. You know, okay, I've done my outreach which is why we at Common Ground don't do a lot of organized outreaches. Because, this is actually on purpose, we're not just lazy. It's on purpose because we believe the greatest impact we will have is when all of us own the mission where we already live, where we already work, where we already play. If we organize all these outreaches and then we feel good by doing this one thing and nothing else through the, the year, we're not going to carry out what God wants to do. You know, students... You're in a school for a reason. Do you realize that? You are sent to your school. If you belong to God, he has put you in that school, in the place you work. We can go down the list. Because our mission is supposed to be physical. That's why this great opportunity we have right now with this angel tree. I hope we get overwhelmed with even more. You know, we have other schools that may be giving us more names. Some might be giving us whole families. I hope they do, and I hope we become overwhelmed and step up to the task and, and bless our city. I mean, how many kids are going to be blessed? I love this idea that Seeliger has of creating this coat closet, coats and boots and gloves. And so when a kid comes in with a T-shirt on and it's five degrees outside, they bring them in and they give them a coat. Now, some kids just do that because it's cool, uh, but there's others that, that need a jacket. We can, do, we can serve this. Read the book of James. This is what James called real spirituality. When you see a need and you can fill it, you fill it. Rather than, oh, I see that you're, you're naked and cold and hungry, be blessed. And then go to your, he says, that's not spirituality. He says, real spirituality is this, that you visit orphans and widows in their distress. There's needs around us. We can enter in physically. That's who we are. That's what we're supposed to do. But there's more. Philip's mission to Samaria was spiritual. This physical healing led to spiritual healing because he spoke. He shared the good news of Jesus with them. He didn't just go in and, and bless and serve. He went in and blessed and served and then told them the truth 
the truth about Jesus. We already saw this in the book of Acts. There is one way to be saved, Jesus. There is one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Jesus. That's Acts 4.12. So us as believers, if we really love people, we want to help them avoid hell and enter eternity with God and experience that great life here and now. And we do it through words. Words are necessary for a person to hear the truth so they may believe in the gospel unto salvation. Words are necessary. Maybe you've heard this. Witness always, and when necessary, use words. I hate that phrase. I agree with it in, in principle. Witness always. Live your life as a witness. You know, the Bible would say, live your life as a letter. You are communicating God to those around you with how you live. And when necessary, use words. No, I'd say it's always necessary to use words. Because without words, nobody's going to come to understand Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross and rose from the dead. They're not going to learn that from just us giving them a jacket. Paul says it this way in Romans 10. Yeah, Paul, the same guy who was ravaging the church, later is converted. He wrote this. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So, we're sent. You are sent. It's not something for the professionals, for the clergy. You are sent. But it's also true. People need to know that you care before they care what you know. The church has made both mistakes. I mean, we just have that tendency, don't we? We're people. We have the tendency to to bless, but, oh, it's uncomfortable to share, so I'm not going to speak. Or we have the other side. We're so gung-ho about the word, we go and we preach without bringing any love or anything else with it. You know, both extremes are not what the God has for us or what will change a city. And so we bless. We do some things, and then we speak. Now, I want to kind of make a note about this, though. Our culture is different. Cultures change, it goes on, and we want to be sensitive but also bold. And so in the world that we live in right now, you know, very low church attendance, very, very few Christians in our community, uh, following God is not just, or going to church isn't culturally something everybody does. And so we want to be a little bit careful. So when we do serve, we serve, but with no strings attached. Do you know what I mean? We don't bless until, you know, they reject God or, or accept him, and then we stop. We bless to bless, and we bring the truth, but it's not a... Here's an example, trunk or treat. We don't give them a good piece of candy and attract. That's not what we do in our society. That kind of pushes people away. Instead, we give them a piece of candy, and they're like, who's giving us the candy? The church is. What? You know, I mean, a lot of people that came through trunk or treat, what is this? You guys are a church? When, when do you meet? I mean, it's just an opportunity to serve, and, and here's who we are, and, and point to Jesus. But here's something else. Look at verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is weird. And here's the point here. Philip's mission to Samaria was cross-cultural. Now, I think this is important because the church is called to go across cultures. And I think often going across cultures, there's a little bit more openness to the gospel. 
You know, even Jesus said a prophet is, is never welcome in his hometown. You know, when Jesus went to his hometown, they were like, we know this guy. We saw him grow up. There's something about being at home that is harder. It's just a fact. And so some of us are called to go cross-cultural. We should. We need to. And this one was cross-cultural, and there's something unique about this one specifically. Again, remember Acts 1.8. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria. Where is he? Samaria. This was God's plan. He went to Samaria in obedience. And he's not the only one. We already saw that. Others went there too, speaking about Jesus. And so he goes to Samaria. The Samaritans, just a kind of a quick history, they hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaria was north of Jerusalem, north of Judea. And if somebody was traveling, a Jew was traveling north, often they would go around Samaria. It would add a whole extra day to their journey, but they would do it to stay away from those filthy dogs. I mean, that was the way they saw it. And it went the other way, too. The Samaritans hated the Jews, too. I mean, just look at the history. The, the Jews burned down their temple. I mean, it was not, this was not good. So this cross-culture, these people far from God, because the truth was through the Jews, they had the true scriptures. The Samaritans did not. And so Philip goes, shares. They believe, they're baptized, but they don't get the Holy Spirit. That's weird. The apostles then hear about it. They make a journey up there, lay their hands on them, and they receive the Spirit. Why? I think a couple reasons. One, God wanted to communicate clearly one church. He wanted his apostles. Again, 12 apostles, no role like that ever again since. They had a unique role from God between God and people and starting the church. They went, laid their hands on, and they received the Spirit to show, no, it's the same gospel. This is one church. We're all together. And also to affirm Philip's ministry. Philip was not an apostle. Philip was a normal dude, and he did it great. And so here they come up, and they're like, uh, okay. I mean, all the apostles do is they come, they're like, boop. They get the spirit, they're like, all right, we're out of here. You know, and, and they leave, and they follow Philip's lead by preaching on the way back. They're like, wait a minute, the Samaritans can believe too. And on their way home, they preach. And then Philip is free to go. This never happens again. This is unique. It never happens again because God is trying to say, the Samaritans are mine too. And they don't have to become Jews. They are mine too. And Philip is also my servant. Not an apostle, not clergy. He's a normal guy. And I'm going to do great things through him. The Holy Spirit, this is in your notes, waited for the apostles before filling the Samaritan believers, believers in order to validate them and point toward the unity of the church. Now we skipped over a guy in here, and, and you can look it up, but Simon, Simon was a magician, uh, and you can read about that, uh, whether he did tricks or actually, you know, demonic magician, people disagree, but he was a magician, and he was doing tricks, and people thought he was great, then Philip comes along, they hear the truth, uh, Simon it, it loses his crowd, basically, he converts, and then he wants the power to, to give the Holy Spirit away. Anyway, there's a whole story there. We're kind of skipping over that. But he is a false convert in the midst of a bunch of good converts. He was baptized but didn't actually uh, belong to God, didn't get the Holy Spirit. So study that, but that's not our point. We're looking at Philip here. Now, the point that I made at the beginning, looking at is we're all sent. We're all sent. 
one of our values here at Common Ground is sending capacity, not seeding capacity. Some of us are sent right here. In fact, all of us are first sent right here, like Philip uh, and, and like uh, Stephen. They were faithful in their home church. We're called to be faithful right now, right here. We're called to serve, to give, to bless, to be in relationship right here. Or if you're in town from another town, you're called to be part of a local church, wherever that is. That's first. And then you're called to be a blessing. You are sent right here to Carson City, Carson Valley, Dayton, Reno, wherever we are living, we are sent here. And some of us, some of us might be feeling a little, "Eh, I'm sent somewhere else. And as time goes on, we're going to be involved planting other churches. And some of us are going to feel the, "Eh, I'm supposed to go be part of that one. And that's good too, but we are all sent right now here and maybe to go. And like Philip, Philip said, here I am, send me. Are we willing to go? Are we willing to be sent? Are you? Are you willing to take on ownership of this mission? This is what stuck out to me as I was studying this. You know, and as I was praying, the tough thing about Acts and narrative is you can pull a lot of things out of it. You know, you can see a lot of things going on, and it's true. Here's what stuck out to me. How can we see a great movement, even another revival? Here's how we'll see it. If every one of us owns the mission, not just is religious, not just attends church, not just gives to support the professional ministry, but we own the mission. There's a big switch when we go, I would call this somebody else theology. Oh, somebody else will do that. Oh, there's a need? Somebody else will do that. You know, somebody needs to serve here? Somebody else will do that. Rather, me, I'm responsible. I'm responsible here. I'm responsible for those around me. I'm responsible. And I think Philip uh, and, and uh, Stephen were like this. What, what needs to happen? You know, here we are in the church in Jerusalem. What's needed? Well, these widows are being neglected and overlooked, and we need somebody to take care of that. We'll do that. Are you gifted in that way? I don't know. We'll do that. There is a, a spot for us to serve within our gifting, but there's also a spot to just get involved to just start serving. We have kids back there making disciples of of those kids. That's a great place to serve, and you can always use more people there and everywhere else. But we, we serve, and we own it. It's up to me. And then, think about this. Lost people around you, how many Christians do they know? What if you're the only one? Think about it. What if you're the only Christian they know, and you have somebody else theology? That somebody else is never gonna come along because it's you. And what if God's whole plan is for you? I can't wait till next week. You gotta come back next week. Uh, there's gonna be special music. That's gonna be cool too. But next week, we're gonna look at Philip again with somebody else and God really ordaining, setting things up. Hey, you do this. Okay, I'll do this. And just, or, he's doing that with us. There is somebody in your life, probably, he's put you, he's put them, and he wants to do something. Are we willing to say, yes, I'll be part of that? It's time for the laity to live on mission. Again, the word missionary is not in the New Testament. There is no clergy laity distinction. I think that's why God called me to be a pastor, because I'm really laity. You know, I, I'm no clergy. I hear all the time, you're a pastor? You know, or we, we went on the missions trip and, and uh, the missionary's leading it. It was, what, three days in? And John asked Zach, he's like, is that really your pastor? <laughs> because that's, so this, this resonates with me. We are all in the same boat. We are all called to serve, to go. We are all called to this mission, not just others. And so I have two questions, two questions to end with. One, where is there pain around you you can enter in? Where is there suffering around you? Where is there something that you can do something about? 
There's got to be. If you can't think of one, I can think of one. The tree. <laughs> There's one. Hey, and if you're online and you want one of those ornaments, do something. Whoever's online, tell them what to do. <laughs> do something and we'll get one. I think Katie will handle that. Um, but, but there's one way. What about your neighbors? Are there people you know that are in need right now that you can just enter in with no ulterior motives, but let your life be assigned to them, and when possible then, share the word? So here's my second question. Are you able to articulate the gospel? Lovingly? Condensed? Are you able to... to communicate the gospel. If not, or you need a, uh, an update, grab one of these. This is uh, the story. It's just a quick little thing to help you share the gospel, to help you understand kind of the process, creation, fall, uh, reconciliation, restoration, what God has done, why he had to do it. This is a short, easy read. Even you high schoolers can get through this, right? Trenton. Yeah, even Trenton, you'll understand this. But these are free, and they're on the info table. If you struggle with how to articulate the gospel, please grab one of these, because we need to understand how to share our faith, how to point to Jesus, like Philip did. A regular guy in Samaria was changed because of him simply being obedient. And, and notice, God kind of made him do it. They were all comfortable at home. They were all in Jerusalem, thousands of them, and they liked it that way, Right? We like to be comfortable until God said, nope, time for you to go. And they went and they ran away because they were coming to arrest them. And as they went, they're telling people about Jesus and God did great things. God uses circumstances for his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for the encouragement. As I read your word, uh, there's really no perfect people. In fact, you go out of your way to show the faults of almost everybody that we read in here. And so it means you can even use me. Uh, you can use each of us. God, we see this, uh, this great commission. God, and in Acts 1.8, you told your disciples to go, uh, that they would be a witness, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and out. And the first ones to go were not the ones that heard that command. They passed that command on, and others were the first ones to go in obedience. God, we are at the ends of the earth compared to what we see here in Acts. And we still need to go. God, there are so many around us who need you. There are so many in other cultures that you might want to send us to. I ask, Holy Spirit, stir in our hearts the yes. Stir in our hearts the willingness to go for you right here and right now. And then maybe say yes to wherever you would send us. But God, I ask that we would own this mission. Not out of obligation. Not out of guilt. But out of love. Because we've been saved. We've been forgiven. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, our hope is secure. We win because you won. And so now we're free to just serve for your glory. So God, I ask, use us to bless. Use us to bring others to you. And in the process, let us continue to grow in our own faithfulness, in our own purity, in our own holiness for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.